Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and each week, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope that you're doing well wherever you are. I hope you're happy and healthy. I hope you enjoyed the holiday season. I hope that those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, as I say, the weather isn't too bad. And for my neighbors in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope you're enjoying the summer. On this very special episode of the program, I'm going to cover over a few things I told you that I would, and I just haven't really got the chance to get to in the past. So we're going to start out with a shout-out roll. I haven't done one for a while. So first and foremost, to all of the long-term supporters of the show, Eddie and his family in California, my very special Texas correspondent, Adriana and Nico, thank you so much for your ongoing long-term support for the program, to Chris and Max and his family in Illinois, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, to Scott, Dave, and Matt in Missouri, thank you so much for everything that you've done for me over the time that I've been doing the programs, to Harry and Lisa in North Carolina, of course I couldn't do it without you, my Montana family, and also my friends in Wisconsin, Jeff and Russ, thank you so much, to Timmy in New Jersey, thank you so much for everything that you've done to support me and support the program, to the Fidianga tribe, thank you as always for your support, and as I say to everyone, everywhere, who has supported me from day one, I thank you so much. And of course, to all of the newer listeners to the program, and everyone who's taken the time to listen to me speak about the topics that I have, to listen to some of the excellent interviews that I've had with some guests that I've had on, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Like I say, I couldn't have made this journey without your support, so make sure that you give yourself a pat on the back. I do appreciate every one of you, everyone who takes the time to listen, Everyone who reaches out and gets in touch with me, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Now, one of the things that I told you I would be covering over on the New Year's show, but I just didn't get a chance, so I'm going to cover it over tonight. I promised you that I would give you an update on all of the different countries that have tuned into the Paranormal Sun in 2020. So, I'm going to read each and every country and to each and every one of you who have take, taken the time to listen, thank you again. Colombia, Hong Kong, Turkey, Taiwan, Chile, Portugal, Barbados, the Czech Republic, Bosnia-Herzegovina, India, South Africa, Israel, Rwanda, Japan, Russia, Norway, Germany, Finland, Mexico, Canada, the U.S., so 40 states in the U.S. and the District of Columbia. I won't read each one of those out. Belgium, Ireland, Slovenia, Pakistan, Austria, Singapore, Romania, Brazil, Sweden, the Philippines, Australia, England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, New Zealand, and France. So 38 countries in total, my friends. That's quite an amazing journey for me personally, and it's really been something else. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for really going out and supporting me and listening to the program. Now, again, as I said, we're going to have a bit of a full shout out this week. There are some podcast content creators who have been very supportive to me, especially in the last few weeks, 
and I just want to give them some shout-outs. So to Russell at Hangar 18 Radio, Russell does a great program on UFOs and all sorts of other topics, very similar to what I cover here on The Paranormal Sun, and I'm very fortunate to call Russell a friend. So thank you very much, Russ, for putting out that great content, for appearing on the program, and just always being there to talk about the kind of things that we love. Also to my friends Scott, Matt, and Dave at the Old 77, based in Jefferson City, Missouri. You've been so supportive, it's amazing. Dave came on for the New Year's Eve episode, but every episode they do of the Old 77, just about, they plug me, they plug the programs, and you can't imagine how much it means to me, guys. It's been amazing. It uh, really touched me as well when Dave was talking about how supportive the podcast community is on that New Year's episode, because it's true. I mean, we've got so many great supportive podcast creators, and you guys are right in that forefront. So thank you. Keep up the good work and know that I'm always listening. To Mark at the Zen Sandwich podcast, Mark's got an amazing podcast. It's basically bite-sized Zen is how I would describe it. It's kind of like eight to ten minute episodes, but it's excellent for someone like me who's on the go. Mark's based in Japan, and Mark's a great guy, as well as being a great podcast host. So make sure you go over there and check out Zen Sandwich. Then we've got Casey at Boundless Body Radio. Casey and his wife have some great content. They put out some great episodes, and on top of that, they're very supportive and very positive people. And Casey, I appreciate all the kind words you've had for me in my journey. It's been really brilliant to connect with people like you that are so polite and positive. To the Xander and Stone podcast, Xander, thanks, man. It's always great to hear from you. You've been supportive from day one, and I really appreciate it. And it's been great to watch your program grow as well. I'd love to have you on sometime. We'll uh, we'll have to look at what 2021 holds. I'm sure you're going to be busy as well, but uh, I'd love to have you on sometime to talk talk about some of these subjects. Maybe if we do get disclosure this year, it would be interesting to sit down and chew the fat about that. Then to Noel and Nicole at the Quite Unusual podcast, you were one of the first real supporters of the Paranormal Sun, and I'll never forget that, and I'm very appreciative. My Chicagoland listenership wouldn't be where it is without you, so thank you so much for your support. Then we've got uh, Eric over at the Unseen Paranormal podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to as many of, of Eric's programs as I'd like to, but Eric's always been very supportive and very polite. And again, Eric, thank you so much. For the support you've shown to me. To Kate and the rest of the fine people over at the Prove Me Wrong Paranormal Team group on Facebook, thank you so much for all of the people who have joined up on my page and are listening to my content. Again, I really appreciate everything that everyone's done. It's a great group. Kate and her sons and the moderators over there are great people. So if this is the kind of stuff that you like and that's something that you'd like to know a bit more about, let me know, and I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Then we've got my friend Bob in Oklahoma. Now, Bob does rantings of the fat man, and Bob's podcast is quite good. He covers a little bit of everything, but during Christmas time, when I was a bit down and blue, like I said, I've had a lot of family members pass away, and Christmas just wasn't feeling like Christmas. So I sat down and listened to Bob's Christmas episode, and it did a lot for me. So thank you, Bob, for what you do. Now, folks, I'll give you a bit of a background of what we're going to get into on tonight's program. I'm going to do an extended segment of the News of the Damned, 
There's some articles there that I've been sitting on, I've been meaning to get done, but I just haven't had a chance. So you'll get an extra helping of the news of the damned, and then I'm going to also give you a little bit of a segment of what Timmy and I talked about when Dave had to go on the last episode. I'm also going to get into the listener predictions for 2021. I'll save those for the end of the program. And then also I'll flesh out a little bit more about what I was talking about with Timmy about some of these people who have made predictions in the past that are quite famous. I didn't really have a chance to get it gathered before, so I'll probably just flesh that out a little bit more for you as well. But I'm not going to go into real depth with a lot of them because a lot of these people are going to end up having standalone episodes down the road. Now, I've got a couple quick ones I want to cover over with you as well before we get into the news of the damned. One of the things that I wanted to cover over was that Dave mentioned it on the New Year's episode, and I just hadn't had a chance to sit down and watch it. The other night I sat down and I watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode about the Great Barrington UFO case that was called the Berkshires County or the Berkshires County's case on the program. Now, many fans of the older program with Robert Stack, I grew up watching it, as I've said many times on the program. This is a little bit of a different style, at least this episode, and it took me a little while to get my head around it. There's no commentary. There's no host. They just basically do it like documentary style. But it was very good. Like I said, they did a good job making sure to let the witnesses have their say, and they covered it very much documentary style, which was fine. Like I say, I just wasn't sure what to expect going into it. Now, one of the things that I did find very fascinating, and it reminds me of the Farmington UFO Armada case that I covered, and also the Cape Girardeau UFO case, is that when they had this police officer, and they went into Great Barrington, and they sat down in the police station, and he went back and he goes, well, we've got everything on file. Every Everything that's ever happened, we keep it as a matter of public file, and I've got it here. And he went back to the night in question, and he said, oh, well, there's nothing here about UFOs. But the interesting bit to me, folks, was if you were paying attention, this book that he had all of these past incidents in and these files that he said were the public record, this wasn't like a journal or a diary where it's a bound book. It was like a three-ring binder where you could open up the binder and take pages out or just rip pages out. So I found that very fascinating. And like I say, it reminded me a lot of how things have gone missing in some of these older UFO cases. So he's got a page there with the night in question. And yeah, those events, whatever they were, happened. But maybe some other pages went missing. Maybe they got torn out or taken out. If you don't know about that, just go back and have a look real quick. And if you look, that was the first thing I noticed. I thought to myself, well, I'll be damned. This isn't a bound book. This is just like a three-ring binder. And I found it very interesting, like I say, that he's sitting there going, oh, well, this is all there is about it, and there's no there's no other records about this. So I've got them all right here. Well, buddy, even if it was an accident, how do you know that people didn't take pages out? Maybe somebody spilled a coffee on it or something, and they pulled it out and threw it away. This, Like I say, this isn't a bound book where you'll notice the pages missing. So like I said, that was just something that was very interesting to me to bear in mind when you think about this case and many others. And this is one of the things where you get actual video like this, where it can be quite interesting because you obviously wouldn't know that if you just read an article about it or something similar. 
So yeah, folks, that is a good case. If you haven't had a chance, go back and watch that episode. I wish they had more on Unsolved Mysteries, but so far they've done much more focusing on unsolved crimes and that, which is fine. I mean, it's obviously their program, but I wish it was a bit more like the old one where they had lost treasures and some of these other things going on. It was a good mix-up. It was a good variety. Uh, I've said on the program before about true crime, I've got no problem with true crime. It's just I don't want all true crime all the time. There are some really fascinating true crime cases in that that I've been really interested to watch. But there's already, even here in New Zealand, we've got basically a true crime channel where I can turn on and watch true crime all I want all the time. With Unsolved Mysteries, I was just expecting a little bit more of that older style. But again, we'll see. Maybe they'll evolve in, evolve in time. It's only their second season. They've only done 12 episodes total so far. Now, one of the other things, folks, again, I've talked a few times on the program about synchronicities and kind of strange happenings. Well, this one is really interesting, and it definitely piqued my attention. On the New Year's episode, if you've listened to it, you would have heard me and Timmy and Dave talking about dreams. And I made the very stupid statement that I don't really dream, I don't remember a lot of dreams, which is true. But why I say it's stupid is, I'll tell you what, folks, <laughs> it's like that old thing about if you think about a red car, you'll start seeing red cars all the time. So sure enough, within a day or two of us recording that, I laid down for a nap in the evening, and I had one of the most memorable dreams of my recent life. And when I say recent, I mean, oh, going back at least 15, 20 years. Like many people, I have some recurring dreams that kind of happen quite often, and I've had them throughout my life. But this is something that I can never remember having, and it was a really fascinating one. So I was outside here at Tower Studios. I was out the back where we often go outside at night, and that's where I'll go outside and look up at the stars and that. Well, I was standing outside. This is the dream. This isn't what happened in real life, but it seemed like real life. So I was standing outside, and I saw a light up in the sky, and I thought for half a second, well, maybe that is something different. Maybe it's something strange, like a UFO. Now, I've done this before, and I'll look up, and I'll always sit there, and I'll keep a close eye on it, and it always ends up being something explainable. Now, in this instance, in the dream, sure enough, uh, the light continued coming my direction, and... As it kind of came out of the clouds, you could see it high up, but it was an airplane. So you could see the lights flashing. And I thought to myself, yeah, no surprise there. And I had a flashlight with me, or a torch, as we say here. So I was standing outside, and I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager and when I was a kid, we used to screw around shining the lights up in the sky, you know, flashlights. And so for whatever reason in this dream, I just had this little pocket flashlight, and I was shining it up in the sky. Well, the interesting bit is, folks, as I shined it up in the sky, it illuminated the planets. And when I say the planets, I mean they were massive in the sky, like bigger than the moon by a large amount. And I could very clearly see Jupiter, Uranus, Neptune, and Venus. And the others I'm not sure about, but I remember seeing those planets vividly. Now, here's the other strange bit. From what I've heard or what I've read, I've not sat there and gone through study after study, but my understanding is we do not dream in color. Well, in that dream, those planets were the color as seen from outer space. So when you see like the astronomy 
documentaries and that, and they show Jupiter, and it's got that red hue to it. It was definitely red in my dream. Neptune was bluish-green. Saturn was bluish, okay? So it was definitely in color. Now, I went in, and I said to my partner, come out here and check this out, and she didn't do anything. She just sat in there, and that was basically the end of the dream, but I remember going back outside and shining this flashlight up at these planets, and like I say, they were massive, massive. Think of being in like a dark room in a garage or something like that and shining up in the corner of the room and seeing something there like, let's say, a clock. I mean, that's how big they were in the sky. They were freaking massive. So, yeah, um, interestingly enough, that's what I get for saying that I don't really have dreams. I don't have memorable dreams. Now, I did go online and have a little bit of a look about what these meant, but it, there was kind of different meanings for every planet. The best that I could kind of boil down from what I saw was that you're wanting, like me, my consciousness is wanting to know about the mysteries of the universe. Well, that's no shock, folks. That's why I do this program. That's why I cover all of these topics. But yeah, I really didn't get a real firm, in-depth answer, kind of what was behind the dream as far as online. But it was interesting nonetheless, and I wanted to share that with you. So yeah, that was a little bit of a fascinating synchronicity. And like I said, I've been finding more and more of these as time goes on. Now, I'm going to be getting into the news of the damned. But as I say, folks, I do get people ask me from time to time, what can we do, JT? How can we support you? How can we support the Paranormal Sun? Well, one of the best ways that you can support the program and support what I do is tell a friend, tell a family member, tell anyone who you think would enjoy what I do. Anyone who would enjoy the kind of subject matter that I cover, tell them, let them know. That's oftentimes to me, that's how I find out about a lot of these awesome programs is word of mouth. I've had several suggested to me by others that I've ended up really enjoying. So tell a friend. You can also go on to Apple Podcasts and you can review and you can like the, you can rate and review the program. That helps because again, it helps bring it up in the algorithms. If you're wanting to know where to find me on Facebook and Instagram and all of that. The easiest way is just to go to the Instagram page. So just search for the Paranormal Sun. And again, it's I'll always keep the background image, the profile image as whatever is the current program's artwork. So it says the Paranormal Sun. You'll find it there. If you go there and you go into the bio, there's a link. You can just click that link and it will bring up everything about the program, the Facebook group, the website, you name it, Patreon, PayPal, anything. If you want to support the show, if you want to throw some some change in the PayPal bucket, you can find it there. That is the easiest way going forward is just to go over and check out that Instagram link. And it, like I say, it's got everything. You can, of course, look for www.theparanormalsun.com. That's the website. I host all of the podcasts over there as well, so you can listen to them over there. That's the easiest way to really find anything you want to know about the program. Now, again, I've had some people say to me if they wanted to send me some things. Had a few people ask me if they could send me some postcards or books. And yes, you can. So it's very simple. We're a small country, so our postal system is pretty good. So you can just send it to P.O. Box 475, Drury, which is D-R-U-R-Y, New Zealand. 2247. Now you can address it to the Paranormal Sun or to JT, but you don't have to. As long as it's got that P.O. box number on it, it'll turn up. Anything that I do get from you, I'll do my very best to report back to it on air. 
I don't know how many I'll end up getting. That's why I say, folks, if suddenly I got inundated, it would be very difficult for me to go over everything that I got on air. But rest assured, I will do my absolute best to come back to you. Those are the best ways to reach me. Those are the ways to support me. You can also send me emails at theparanormalsun at gmail.com. It's just the paranormal sun, just like the show. No hashes or anything like that. And you can email me there. So now, folks, I'm going to be getting into the news of the damned. And like I say, you're going to get a bit of a bumper bumper crop. There are some articles I've wanted to cover over for a while. And I'm going to give you a bit more commentary than I normally would on these. Now, for those of you who may be new to the program and you don't know what the news of the damned is, there was a gentleman in the early 1900s named Charles Fort, who was one of the founding fathers of the paranormal, the unexplained, and the downright odd and weird type of stuff that I love to cover over. Now, Charles Fort started gathering notes from periodicals, papers, magazines from all over the world, and then he made them into notes and wrote books and released them so that we could find out about some of these fascinating things that he covered over. Everything from UFOs to sea serpents to ghost ships to strange things falling from the sky. Now, anything that science excluded or ignored, Charles Fort referred to as damned data. Therefore, this segment is an homage to Charles Fort, and every time I do it, it is the news of the damned for that reason. So the first article here was submitted by Harry in North Carolina. As always, Harry, thanks for sending me these articles. And this one is from Space.com, and it's titled, Ghostly Circles in Sky Can't Be Explained, and Astronomers Are Excited. And this was published in December. In September 2019, my colleague Anna Kaplinski gave a presentation showing interesting objects she'd found while browsing our new radio astronomical data. She had started noticing very weird shapes she couldn't fit easily to any known type of object. Among them, labeled by Anna, was WTF? Was a picture of a ghostly circle of radio emission, hanging out in space like a cosmic smoke ring. None of us had ever seen anything like it before, and we had no idea what it was. A few days later, our colleague Emil Lenk found a second one, even more spooky than Anna's. Anna and Emil had been examining the new images from our pilot observations for the Evolutionary Map of the Universe, or EMU, project made by CSIROS's Revolutionary New Australia Square Kilometer Array Pathfinder, or ASKAP, telescope. EMU plans to boldly probe parts of the universe where no telescope has gone before. It can do so because ASKAP can survey large swaths of the sky very quickly, probing to a depth previously only reached in tiny areas of sky, and being especially sensitive to faint, diffuse objects like these. I predicted a couple of years ago, this exploration of the unknown would probably make unexpected discoveries, which I called WTFs. But none of us expected to discover something so unexpected so quickly. Because of the enormous data volumes, I expected the discoveries would be made using machine learning, but these discoveries were made with good old-fashioned eyeballing, hunting ORCs. Our team searched the rest of the data by eye, and we found a few more of the mysterious round blobs. We dubbed them ORCs, which stands for Odd Radio Circles. But the big question, of course, is, what are they? 
At first we suspected an imaging artifact, perhaps generated by a software error, but we soon confirmed that they are real, using other radio telescopes. We still have no idea how big or how far away they are. They could be objects in our galaxy, perhaps a few light years across, or they could be far away in the universe and maybe millions of light years across. When we look in images taken with optical telescopes at the position of ORCs, we see nothing. The rings of radio emissions are probably caused by clouds of electrons, but why don't we see anything in visible wavelengths of light? We don't know, but finding a puzzle like this is the dream of every astronomer. We know what they aren't. We've ruled out several possibilities for what orcs might be. Could they be supernova remnants? The clouds of debris left behind when a star in our galaxy explodes? No. They are far from most of the stars in the Milky Way, and there are too many of them. Could they be the rings of radio emission sometimes seen in galaxies undergoing intense bursts of star formation? Again, no. We don't see any underlying galaxy that would be hosting the star formation. Could they be the giant lobes of radio emission we see in radio galaxies, caused by jets of electrons squirting out from the environs of a supermassive black hole? Not likely, because the ORCs are very distinctly circular, unlike the tangled clouds we see in radio galaxies. Could they be Einstein rings, in which radio waves from a distant galaxy are being bent into a circle by the gravitational field of a cluster of galaxies? Still no. ORCs are too symmetrical, and we don't see a cluster at their center. A genuine mystery. In our paper about ORCs, which is forthcoming in the publications of the Astronomical Society of Australia, we run through all of the possibilities and conclude these enigmatic blobs don't look like anything we already know about. So we need to explore things that might exist but haven't yet been observed, such as a vast shockwave from some explosion in a distant galaxy. Such explosions may have something to do with fast radio bursts, or the neutron star and black hole collisions that generate gravitational waves. Or perhaps they are something else entirely. Two Russian scientists have even suggested ORCs might be the throats of wormholes in space-time. From the handful we've found so far, we estimate there are about 1,000 ORCs in the sky. My colleague Barbara Korobolsky notes the search is now on, with telescopes around the world to find more ORCs and understand their cause. It's a tricky job because orcs are very faint and difficult to find. Our team is brainstorming all these ideas and more, hoping for the eureka moment when one of us, or perhaps someone else, suddenly has the flash of inspiration that solves the puzzle. It's an exciting time for us. Most astronomical research is aimed at refining our knowledge of the universe or testing theories. Very rarely do we get the challenge of stumbling across a new type of object which nobody has seen before and trying to figure out what it is. Is it a completely new phenomenon or something we already know about but viewed in a weird way? And if it really is completely new, how does that change our understanding of the universe? Watch this space. So that's a very interesting article. Thank you, Harry, so much for sending that in. And as I say, folks, if there's something that you'd like me to read on the air, especially for the news of the damned, make sure that you email it through, and I'll make sure to cover it. Also, as always, there'll be a link in the show notes so you can go over and read this article yourself. And I missed it when I started reading the byline there, folks. That article was from Ray Norris. Now, the next article was sent to me from Dave at the Old 77. So, Dave in Missouri, thank you very much for sending this to me, as I had not seen it yet. And this one comes from Hawaii News Now, and it is titled, FAA notified after large blue UFO seen above Oahu appeared to drop into the ocean. 
and this is by Allison Blair, and it came out on the 31st of December, but it's since been updated. Honolulu, Hawaii. An unidentified flying object spotted in the evening sky over Leeward, Oahu, prompted witnesses to call 911 on Tuesday. The sighting happened about 8.30 p.m. There are multiple videos of what appears to be a glowing, oblong mass, both in the sky and in the water. Officials from the FAA say there were no aircraft incidents or accidents in the area at this time, but multiple witnesses reported seeing a large blue object fall out of the sky and into the ocean. In one video, a woman can be heard saying, Something is in the sky. What is that? Misatina Sape told Hawaii News, Now she captured the image at 8.26 p.m. near Haleakala Avenue in Nanakuli. Not long after, a woman named Moriah spotted what looked like the same object passing over Princess Kahuna Estates. I look up, and then I was like, oh shit, she said. I started calling my husband and them, because they were all in the garage. I was like, hey, come look up there. See if you see what I see. They all said, yeah. The 38-year-old says she's never really been a believer in UFOs, but the bright blue object had them so intrigued, they jumped in the car and started following it. I don't know what it was, she said. This one was going so fast. The journey ended less than three miles from where it began. She says they stopped the car on Farrington Highway in front of the Board of Water Supply Building after the object appeared to drop into the ocean. In one of Mariah's videos, you can hear her say, It landed in the water, whatever it is. She described it as being larger than a telephone pole and says she never heard it make any sounds. We called 911, Mariah said, for have like one cop or somebody for come out and come check them out. While officers were on scene, Mariah said, they spotted a second light. My husband went look up and he seen the white one coming, she said. The white one was smaller, was coming in the same direction as the blue one. They lost sight of the object ever after it passed over a nearby mountain. Thursday morning, we asked Honolulu police if investigators figured out what fell in the water. A spokesperson told us they didn't have any information. Meanwhile, FAA spokesperson Ian Greger said the agency received a report from police Tuesday night about a possible plane down in the area but had no aircraft disappear off radar, and no reports of overdue or missing aircraft. Although Mariah's had a couple days to think about it, she says she's still baffled by what she saw. To this day, I don't know, she said laughing. If you guys can find out what it was, I'd like to know, you know. So thanks, Dave, for sending that in. And there is a video in the article, which I've watched, and it was quite interesting, to say the least. It's If you think it's going to be one of those aha moments, it's not really. But it is a very interesting light in the sky. The color is something different than what you normally see. It's definitely not a plane in my book. I'm not sure quite what it is, but it is very interesting. And I'll make sure to update you if we have any further developments on that story in future. Now the next one here is from coasttocoastam.com. And for those of you who are longtime listeners to the program, you'll know that I get a lot of the news of the dam from there, just because it's a bit of a clearinghouse for all of these kind of strange and odd news stories. So this one is titled 10 Unsolved Mysteries from 2020, and this is by Tim Banal. In the world of the strange and unusual, each year provides a number of inexplicable incidents which remain unsolved long after making headlines. Whether it was puzzling natural phenomena, wickedly clever pranks, or the discovery of odd out-of-place objects, there were several curious events which unfolded in 2020 that left us scratching our heads and mulling over questions that may never be answered. And then they've got all 10 of these articles underneath. So I'm not going to go in and read each one, but I will give you the byline for each. What is the origin of this nightmarish doll found on a Florida beach? 
Why were possum tails discovered littering a highway in New Zealand? And no, folks, I hadn't heard that story. Who left the mystery monolith in the Utah desert that sparked a global sensation? Uh, I'm not going to go into depth on that because you can just refer to one of the nine or ten episodes I did about it. Why does someone keep leaving pickles in driveways throughout a neighborhood in New Jersey? Now that is an interesting one. Who put sombreros on pigeons in Reno? I do remember just seeing a little bit of that story, but I didn't actually read it. What is the nature of this odd metal skull found on a main beach? Now that one's got to be interesting. I'll check that one out after this. Why did someone mail a human brain from Canada to the U.S.? How did this weird object wind up in a Polish forest? What caused a mysterious rumbling which rocked an Indian village for over an hour? Now that's that's very interesting because even strong earthquakes only tend to really last a few minutes, two or three minutes. Who were the people spotted carrying suitcases to a beach in England? And more importantly, where did they go? So those are definitely some odd articles, folks, and I would encourage you to go over there and check those out. I'm not going to go into each one in detail or we'll be here all night. But anyway, those are very interesting and I'm going to check out a few of those myself. Okay, so this one is also from coasttocoastam.com, and this is from one of my favorite hosts, and this is Knapp's News. So George Knapp does a segment where he covers over several interesting articles for you to read. So I'm just going to read the bylines for you really quick, and then you can go over there and check them out if you like. So the first one is A Devil's School in Romania. The second one is Long Distance Quantum Teleportation Achieved. The third one is Winged Humanoids of Britain. The fourth one is Doctors Bringing People Back from the Dead. The fifth one is Real Replicants, Scientists Work on Creating Intelligent Robots. And the sixth one is Stunning Photographs of Area 51. So like I say, George Knapp's always quite good about gathering these things. And there'll be a link in the show notes so you can just go over there and click on links and check out those articles. Now, my friends, you've heard me talking more and more about synchronicities on this program, and here is one for you. Now, I'd chosen out this article already, and I had a bit of a break before I came back out here to record this episode, uh, to record the news of the damned. It's just been one of those days, and I just needed to go and step away. I've had a lot going on. Well, anyway, in that little bit of a break time, it was really interesting because I saw a rerun of one of my old favorite comedy shows, which was Night Court. Now, I'm not kidding you folks, I watched this <laughs> probably two hours ago. So on Night Court, the episode was this guy who said he was from the planet Saturn. He said he was from like the fourth moon of Saturn, and he was on Earth, and that's why he was stealing all this equipment, was to build a communication device to talk to his people from Saturn. I kid you not folks, that was the plot of the episode. And at the end of it, the people from the psychiatric ward or whatever came to pick him up and basically said, oh, we're here on behalf of the planet Earth to welcome you to our planet, etc. And this guy went off with them quite happy. And they were making jokes about another person being in the cells who said they were from Venus. Now, here you go, folks. Um, you can't make this stuff up. So here's the title of this article. Man claiming to be from Saturn... Files lawsuit against federal government. Uh, the synchronicity sometimes, I'll tell you what, I wish there were more lottery number synchronicities, but still, it's awesome when you open your eyes and you pay attention to some, because what are the odds of that, okay? I mean, I know there have probably been a few sci-fi shows about people from Saturn, but a comedy show, Night Court, and I watched that religiously as a kid growing up, 
I don't remember that exact episode, but even the planet, okay? It's not just an E.T., it's even the freaking planet. I can't believe it. So man claiming to be from Saturn files lawsuit against federal government. That's the U.S. federal government. In a bizarre story out of Texas, listen up, my Texas correspondent and chapter president, a man claiming to be from Saturn has filed a lawsuit against the federal government alleging that they have violated his civil rights. The self-proclaimed ascendant master at the center of the strange case is reportedly an individual named Rikaya Collings, who resides in the city of Allen. I know where Allen, Texas is. An actual paperwork filed last Friday in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Texas. The man names himself Capricornus God of Sun Rikaya and asserts that he hails from both the United States as well as the planet Saturn. As one might have surmised, the lawsuit only gets weirder from there. Based on the case filing, it would appear that Rikaya contends that he has been living on this planet since before the formation of the United States, as he argues that the federal government has been discriminating against him from July 4th, 1776, until the present day. Also inexplicably named in the lawsuit are co-defendants the United Nations and the United Kingdom. Why exactly the extraterrestrial plaintiff filed the suit is incredibly hard to decipher, as the circumstances for the alleged discrimination laid out by Rakaya amount to little more than a rambling speech punctuated with the astrological and biblical terms. Equally inscrutable is a jaw-dropping seven-page-long handwritten affidavit, which Rakaya presumably included in the lawsuit as evidence. This manifesto fails to shed light on the nature of the lawsuit and consists largely of various esoteric terms and their corresponding definitions. Perhaps the only clue to the root of the case, in Rakaya's eyes, is that it was classified as having to do with rent, release, or ejectment. But speculating beyond that is a fool's errand. And in what is probably the least surprising aspect of the entire lawsuit, the aggrieved former inhabitant of Saturn lists himself as his own attorney. One imagines that the case is unlikely to get very far, which is unfortunate since we'd really love to watch that trial. Yes, well, like I say, very interesting and very close to the plot of Night Court that I was watching. So yeah, that's another one of those synchronicities. I should just have a chalkboard up here in the corner and just make another notch every time one of these synchronicities comes up, folks. It's been pretty astounding the last few weeks. Now, the next article here was also sent to me from Harry in North Carolina. So again, Harry, thanks for sending this through. And this is from theconversation.com, and I hadn't seen this website before. And this is titled, The Recent Appearance of Unexplained Monoliths. Now, don't think that I could go too many weeks without talking about monoliths now, do you? Offers connections to the ancient past. And this is from Andrew Roderick, McMaster University, and Anna Guggenrich, Eckerd College. Now, those names are sounding pretty familiar to me, folks, so I think I've already read one of the monolith articles from these two. And it may be the same. We'll just see as we get into it. In November, news outlets reported the puzzling appearance of several peculiar, highly polished metal monoliths in remote landscapes around the world. Some naturally blamed aliens. Others saw similarities with Stanley Kubrick's iconic metal monolith of 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Again, folks... They keep saying this. It's like these people don't even fact check at all. It wasn't a metal monolith. It was like made out of stone. It was like obsidian. It was black stone. And again, it's just annoying that you would think that by now, with how many times these monoliths have been covered, that they still somehow are trying to say that those ones are, were a match for the ones that have been turning up. And also, again, 
it wasn't metal in the movie, for goodness sakes. Anyway, moving on, moving on. As archaeologists, we watch these events with some amusement. I've definitely, I've, I've seen bits of this, so this is basically a rehash of what they said before, and then they've got some new stuff, so it is worth listening to. As archaeologists, we watch these events with some amusement. Imposing, isolated, standing stones have been important in many historical cultures of the world, from Mongolia to the British Isles. Our experience lies in the monoliths of the South American Andes, monumental, human-like figures carved of single blocks of stone that are remarkable not only in their form and style, but also in the stories they tell. The Archaeology of Bolivia's Monoliths The monoliths of Highland Bolivia served as the focal point of public religious rituals as far back as 800 BCE, and have remained a source of fascination ever since. When Inca armies conquered the area in the 15th century, they saw them as leftovers from the world's creation. In the 16th century, the next set of invaders, Spanish conquistadors, were told that they were the work of giants. Over the next centuries, they were dynamited to build railroads, stolen by foreign collectors, and even used as target practice by the Bolivian army. Since the early 20th century, however, a number of new monoliths have come to light during excavations by Bolivian and foreign archaeologists and by local residents during the course of everyday activities, such as farming fields and building houses. Many dating to over 2,000 years ago, some quite elaborately carved, have been found throughout the region. And there's a photo here of one. It's four-sided. I would describe it. It kind of looks like a obelisk. I know it doesn't have the right number of faces, but just kind of looking at the dimensions, it looks similar to some of the small obelisks you'll see uh, even in graveyards. The best-known monoliths are those of the UNESCO site of Tiwanaku in Bolivia. Tiwanaku's on the list, folks, of the hundreds of subjects I've got to get to. A place that was famous in its heyday, 400 to 1000 AD, for attracting pilgrims from across the Andes, despite its lung-crushing setting at 3,800 meters above sea level. Many of these volcanic stone monoliths are intricately carved. The largest of these, the Bennett Monolith, recently returned to its original site stands a staggering 7 meters high. That's 21-ish feet, maybe a little more. Other smaller monoliths are found scattered around the site, but also in house patios in the modern town. Animate Stones The opportunity to interact with monoliths may have been the main attraction of Tiwanaku for its religious devotees. For many indigenous peoples of the Andes, stone and mountains are understood as powerful beings that can intervene in human lives. Unlike the mysterious metal monoliths, the importance of the monoliths is associated with their natural environments. Chemical analyses confirm that the stone for Tiwanaku monolith comes from the mountains that the Aymara people see as sacred, living beings with distinct personalities. In the past, devotees likely sought to interact with these beings in their form as monoliths under altered states of consciousness. Listen up, Dave, at the old 77, through drugs, alcohol, or musically induced trance. The principal monoliths of Tiwanaku hold in one hand a drinking vessel, similar to a modern Pilsner glass, and in the other a flat tablet for inhaling hallucinogenic snuff. Archaeologists have found both types of artifacts and even psychotropic drugs at Tiwanaku and other sites in Bolivia, Chile, and Peru. When Tiwanaku's government collapsed around 1000 AD, monoliths appear to have borne the brunt of the people's anger. Many were decapitated, defaced, or broken apart. One broken monolith was united in the late 1970s with its other half. The 998-kilogram upper portion was found 
220 kilometers away across Lake Titicaca and identified via microscopic analysis. Other monoliths survived, only to suffer under later Spanish invaders who pried off gold plating and in some cases inscribed them with crosses and dates and ceremoniously buried them. For many Bolivian Aymara, stone monoliths continue to live in the present. Current residents of the town near Tiwanaku have told our collaborators of monoliths coming to life at night, wandering the streets. In 2006, Evo Morales, Bolivia's first indigenous president, was sworn in at Tiwanaku under the watchful eye of the Ponce monolith. Monoliths for this century. Elsewhere, new monoliths are still being born. In 2007, sculptor Ruben Herrera signed a contract with the municipality of Guaki to chisel a replica of the Bennett monolith. He extracted a 20-ton rock from a nearby hill using traditional techniques. Despite working for 20 months, he was never paid. The monolith remains in its place of production, but is now incorporated into a property wall. Villagers told the press that Herrera had a sickness caused by the stone entering his body, and he could only be healed by local shaman, or Yatiris. Today, people place candles and flowers at the foot of the replica, and Yatiris pour grain alcohol on his work. In our current moment, we are becoming ever more reliant on new and remote technologies. It seems incredible that we still find ourselves entranced by monoliths of metal and stone and the qualities of objects that seem to emerge magically out of the earth. As archaeologists, however, we don't find this mystifying at all. Artifacts and art like the animate Andean monoliths possess an extraordinary power to capture our attention, even as civilizations rise and fall, and remind us of our connections to the places we inhabit. So there is some interesting stuff in there, folks. Um, and there's some very good photos here of some of those statues in and about Tiwanaku and in Bolivia. So if I were you, I'd go over there and check that out. Thanks, Harry. Again, that's a, a really good um, article, especially for the photos, I would say. Now, my friends, here we go. Drum roll, please. This is the article that I have had the most people asking me to comment on, and this is why I've held off on it until the last article of the News of the Damned. Now, this one, this one in particular, but they're all over the internet. This one is from Wilkes.com. So this looks like it's coming from Michigan. So Brad in Michigan, this one's out to you, buddy, because uh, this is from your state, at least the, uh, the news outlet. The Pentagon has 180 days to disclose UFO information. So I'll read through it, folks, and then I'll give you my honest-to-goodness personal feelings about it. It's hard to imagine many other times in American history where the fact could be overshadowed by bigger news. And this is by Jake Drogolis, and it was published on the 31st of December. A lot is happening fast in the federal government. Leaders in the U.S. had to come to agreement on how to distribute vaccines, how to get American people through the remaining months of the pandemic, and still attend to the normal business of creating the legislation that keeps the country funded. That business was handled Sunday when President Trump signed the $2.3 trillion COVID-19 relief and federal funding bill, but there was one odd item included as a committee comment attached to the Annual Intelligence Authorization Act, which was rolled into the 5,593-page bill. By order of the Senate, the bill includes language that directs the Director of National Intelligence to submit a report within 180 days of the date of enactment of the act to the Congressional Intelligence and Armed Services Committee on Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. 
In plain words, the Pentagon has 180 days to turn over all information it has on UFOs. It's hard to imagine many other times in American history where that fact could be overshadowed by bigger news. However, between the debate over how much money should go to households, the various looming deadlines on agreements, and ongoing contests of election results, there hasn't been much bandwidth for this item. Estimating that information from that report, if any, will make its way to the American people is a challenge. In part, that's because there is little else to compare this order to in terms of precedent. Still, beyond everything we already know to expect and everything else that will crop up between now and 180 days from now, there is one more piece of news that will make the start of 2021 interesting. Okay, so that, I believe, was sent to me from Dave, but I've heard uh, from several other people about this as well, people asking for my thoughts and my comments on it. Okay, folks, I'm going to give it to you straight. This is JT's personal opinion from all the years that I've been studying and following not only UFOs, but the actual UFO field, ufology, and how people interact, how the government interacts, and everything else. Honestly, folks, I think you're going to get to six months, and you're not going to find out a damn thing. And I'm going to tell you why. My personal feeling, and I've heard it from many people far above me in intelligence, pay grade, and knowledge, have basically said that for many, many years, the U.S. government has outsourced this type of information into the private sector. So think of how we had the uh, Blackwater security guards in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was basically former military guys would get out, they would go and join Blackwater, they'd get paid more money, and the U.S. government could basically say, well, that's a private company, it's not the military, so they can't be prosecuted for this and that, and we can't ask them this and that, okay? It's the same kind of thing with this. I've been hearing for years and years and years, and it's out there all over the internet if you look into it, that there are private entities uh, for example, many people have talked about Robert Bigelow and his involvement in investigating UFOs on behalf of the U.S. government. Now, you can tell the Pentagon you have to disclose, but if they've already offloaded all of that information, there's going to be nothing in the files to offload, to give to Congress, okay? Now, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, folks, I hope I'm wrong. I would love for 2021 to be the year of disclosure, and I would love for us to all find out that there's the kind of stuff that most of us know is going on out there and that we finally got some answers to the UFO enigma. There are people, really super intelligent people, that studied this their whole lives and died not knowing, only having educated guesses, but definitely not knowing what the military knew about it. But my personal opinion is it's going to be a bunch of smoke and mirrors and it's going to be much ado about nothing. Basically, they're going to go and open that file drawer and they're going to you might get some trickles and you might get a little bit of this and that, similar to kind of what happened with the uh, with the Nimitz uh, and the other carrier footage. You might get a little bit of that, but I really think there's going to be very little tangible stuff to come out of this. You might have some documents, you might have some reports, a little bit, but I really think they're just going to do the whole... The, the, remember the shell game? I don't know how many of you will remember, but when I was a kid, there was the shell game on The Price is Right, okay? And most of you have seen a variation of this. And on the prices right, they had these three giant walnut shells. And what they did was they hid the ball under one, and then they moved it around. It's like three-card Monty, okay? And it was put the ball under one, and, and then you pick which shell the ball's under, okay? And that's kind of what's going on here. 
if they move that shit from government agencies into the personal realm, into private companies that don't answer to to the taxpayers, I mean, the government barely answers to the damn taxpayers, only when they feel like it, okay? And we all know that the intelligence agencies definitely don't answer to the taxpayers. If you think they do, you're just in la-la land, folks. I'm sorry. It's not 1923, okay? The government doesn't give a damn what we think. They don't answer to us anymore, okay? We we don't cut their checks. Most of these intelligence agencies and that, they don't get the, the vast majority of their funding from the taxpayer. They get it from illicit shit that they've been up to for a long, long time. All I'm saying is, I personally really think there's going to be a lot of smoke and not much fire. Think of it like the raid area 51 thing huge buildup. oh there's gonna be oh, a million people two million people and fuck all happened it's gonna be the same with this that's just my personal opinion again i hope i'm wrong i hope i'm sitting here in june uh, it's about june isn't it in june telling you oh wow wow look at this disclosure i really do i honest to god i do i just don't think it's gonna happen that's just my personal opinion very rarely do I sit there and tell you exactly how I feel, but in this case, it's really important to me to get that on the record for you. We will, as always, we will hope for the best. I just don't think that this is going to be a massive disclosure event. I don't think this is going to be close encounters of the third kind, and we're going to have a UFO flying down and exchanging crew members with them and bringing back people that have been abducted from the 40s. It's just my personal opinion. I just do not see it happening. So again, we will stay positive and we will hope that I'm wrong and that there is actually some good tangible stuff there. But folks, I've been hearing about disclosure and how disclosure is imminent since at least 2000. And honestly, if I sat here and I, and in fact, even right now, I've already remembered. No, take it back further. When Bill Clinton got in office, there was going to be disclosure because Bill Clinton's interested in UFOs and he's going to let everybody know what's going on. All right. And I know they said the same thing about Jimmy Carter, because Jimmy Carter saw a UFO. And they said the same thing about Ronald Reagan, because Ronald Reagan saw a UFO. And what disclosure did we get? We got some very veiled comments by Ronald Reagan, some very odd comments that he made in some very public forums. But that's about it. Jimmy Carter just shut up about it, okay? So he basically would have got told, this is none of your business, keep out of it, you don't need to know. Need to know basis, and you don't need to know, Mr. Carter. So anyway, folks, we will see. And I will stay positive, and I will be on tinderhooks waiting to find out what we actually find out in June. And like I say, I hope I'm wrong, and that we can all sit here, and those of you who say, oh, it's going to be a big release, I hope you can tell me, haha, you were wrong, JT. I'll take it, definitely. I've had some people tell me, oh, there's going to be a big release in the Pentagon... Look, folks, again, am I a Pentagon insider? Hell no. Do I know people? Are there people that I definitely believe know what's going on? Yes, I do. And those people all tell us that this shit is removed from the active military. It's all locked up in black projects and everything else. It's the kind of stuff that no general is going to go in and order them to cough up information. And they just hand over all the secrets. It don't work like that, okay? It just doesn't work that way. Again, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think so. We'll see. Uh, I haven't even checked in to kind of see what the other big shots in the uh, in the field are doing about it or what they're saying. 
Richard Dolan would be interesting. Um, I might just check in and see what he's got to say, and I might get back to you on the next News of the Damned with that. So with that, my friends, I hope that you've enjoyed the News of the Damned. What we're going to do now is we're just going to get into a little segment. So this is some of the stuff that I trimmed at the end of last week's episode after Dave had to go that Timmy and I just had a bit of a conversation. And once that's finished at the end, make sure you listen through because I'm going to give you a little bit more maybe about uh, some of these prognosticators, a little bit more information. And then I'll also be giving you the listeners predictions for 2021 right at the very end. So make sure you hang out for that. Now, I do have a bit of an apology and a warning for you as listeners. The next segment between me and Timmy is a little bit subpar. The audio issues were caused by the fact that Timmy, Dave, and my conversation went well over three hours, and we managed to run Timmy's Bluetooth headphones dead. So Timmy had to switch over to some wired headphones, and so you can hear a little bit of audio bleed from my voice uh, being echoed on Timmy's end. Now, I did try to clean it up as best as I could, but there is a little little bit, and you can also hear poor Timmy trying to prepare her dinner in the background. So you might just want to turn this segment down a little bit, especially when you get to the noisy bits. But I didn't want to just toss this out because it was too good of a conversation. So enjoy. Do your best to bite the bullet and listen through some of those sounds. And again, apologies for that. So yeah, that's that's it. I'll, I'll basically, I'll read these ones. And I think that you will find some interest in some of them if maybe you haven't heard of them before. Great. So the first one is the most famous that almost everyone's at least heard the term and almost everyone who's had any kind of accuracy with predictions after has been called the Nostradamus of here or there. So that is Michel de Nostradamus who was born in 1503 and died in 1566. So he's usually known as Nostradamus. He was a French astrologer, a physician, and a reputed seer. He's best known for his book Les Prophecies, a collection of 942 poetic quatrains. So this is where oftentimes, folks, there's misunderstanding with what he said because he didn't just write it in French and Latin. He also wrote it in poem form. So he didn't just write out on this date, this will happen. He wrote it in kind of rhyming quatrains, which has added a lot of confusion to what he may have said. Now, this book was published in 1555. And through all of history, all of the people who think that Nostradamus was basically a, uh, a crackpot or he got it all wrong, they all have to admit at least one thing. The prediction that he became the most famous for was predicting that the king of France would die in a jousting accident, and that's exactly what happened. He basically went to the king and queen, and he said that if if the king didn't go into this jousting tournament, that France would basically live in a new golden age. And he said, on the other hand, if he did participate in this tournament, he would be killed in an accident, and it would be the end of France as far as the royalty at that time, and there would be all kinds of infighting. As is so often the case, the king being headstrong didn't listen, and he died in that jousting accident, and then the country was wrecked by civil war as people were fighting over who should be the king. Now, hmm. many, yeah, it, it's one of those fascinating things that even, like I say, the people who say so much of it is conjecture, they can't argue with that. And it's basically what made him famous. After that, the queen basically became his patron because she was so sure of his gifts. 
He was also known as a noted healer. He saved many people in his town. He was started out being a physician from the plague. And that's how he first got to be known was writing treaties on treatises on uh, herbal medicine and medication and ways of healing people. Many of his supporters believe he he has predicted everything from the Great Fire of London, the French Revolution, the rise of Napoleon and Adolf Hitler, both world wars and the nuclear destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and also 9-11. So mm-hmm. again, depending on how entrenched you are on your views of Nostradamus, his predictions are no doubt to me the most famous. Everyone's at least heard of some of his predictions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say he's probably the one that I'm most familiar with. Yeah. And yeah. And again, he's got that he's got that astrologer tie in that so many of the ladies right. do as well. Uh, I don't have her written down here, but there was Jean Dixon, which uh, she was more famous when I was growing up. But basically, she became friends with Nancy Reagan because she predicted things like Ronald Reagan getting shot. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, basically, Nancy Reagan was on board and she went to Jean Dixon for a lot of important matters to say, how is this going to turn out? And Jean Dixon was she's probably the, the most famous modern day astrologer, at least for my generation. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, it's so funny how many, um, like, leaders throughout history have had, amongst them, like, United States presidents and things like that have had astrologers on, like, call or people that they, you know, ask questions of. I always find that very interesting. Yeah, and I think that personally, uh, there are people who believe it was all rubbish, but they'll still at least listen to that advice. The mm-hmm. famous one is you go right back to, um, I don't know if it actually happened in real life, but you go back to Shakespeare's version of Julius Caesar, yes. the soothsayer and beware the Ides of March. Uh, yep. that, that's the perfect example. And basically Caesar doesn't pay attention and he gets assassinated. Right. So, yeah. It, it, it is very interesting. It, even if you say, well, that didn't happen then, at least in Shakespeare's time, which was the 1600s. So it's 500 years ago. And, uh, on that, uh, perfect, perfectly, just what you were saying about politicians and powerful people being involved with these uh, soothsayers and prognosticators. The next one is one that is kind of semi-famous, and especially people who are in this realm, they've heard of her. And her name was Baba Vanga, and she's known as the Nostradamus of the Balkans. Mm. And she's from Bulgaria, and ironically enough, uh, her birthday is the same as mine. Uh, 3rd of October in 1911, which is very interesting. And my grandmother was born in 1911, I think, from memory. Wow. Yeah. I, I only just realized that when I kind of gathered these notes. Mm-hmm. And she passed away in 1996, so just after the Cold War kind of ended. Mm-hmm. Now, according to her own testimony, a turning point in her life occurred when a tornado allegedly lifted her into the air and threw her into a nearby field. She was found after a long search... Witnesses described her as very frightened, and her eyes were covered with sand and dust. She was unable to open them because of the pain. There was money only for a partial operation to heal the injuries she sustained. This resulted in the gradual loss of her eyesight. This was in her earlier life, so in the early 1920s probably. So again, this ties into her being blind. Does Did that somehow bring out some of these other things that some of these other abilities by her losing one uh, one of her senses did this heighten her mental sense or her her potential for being able to predict things. 
So that's a very fascinating one with her. Yeah. Wow. And during World War II, uh, Yugoslavia was part of the part of the Allies initially, and it was invaded and taken apart by the Axis, by the Germans and the Italians. And her her province in Yugoslavia was annexed by Bulgaria. So at that time, she had already had believers coming to her for her ability to heal and to be a soothsayer. A number of people visited her, uh, hoping to get a hint of whether their relatives were alive due to the war or what was going to happen, basically, and also seeking where maybe their relatives were buried. Now, on April the 8th of 1942, the Bulgarian czar, so the king of Bulgaria, visited her, and that's where she really started getting to be famous. Now, some of the people who believe in her, they claim that she foretold the breakup of the Soviet Union, the Chernobyl disaster, the date of Stalin's death, the sinking of the Russian submarine, the Kursk, the September 11th attacks, Tupolev's victory in the World Chess Tournaments, and tensions with North Korea. But on the other hand, sources in Bulgaria have said that people who were close to her claim she never prophesied about Kursk or World War III. Now, in early 1976, now this is a fascinating, this is one of her predictions, and this one I've always found fascinating. So in early August uh, of August 1976, a famous actress in Yugoslavia named Silvana Armanulik was on tour in Bulgaria, and she decided to meet with Baba Vanga. Vanga only sat and stared out the window with her back to Silvana, never speaking to her. After a long time, she finally said, Nothing. You do not have to pay. I do not want to speak with you. Not now. Go and come back in three months. She turned around and walked towards the door, and she thought this was very abrupt. And then Vanga said to her, Wait. In fact, you will not, you will not be able to come. Go. Go. If you can come back in three months, do so. Now, Silvana took this as confirmation that she would die, and she left the home. And she was crying at the time. Now, two months later, on October the 10th, 1976, she died in a car crash with her sister. So she said, if you can come back in three months, do it. But obviously, she didn't. Now, that in and of itself, no matter any of the other predictions, if that's true, and again, I haven't dug in to verify, but if that's true, I mean, that in itself is quite astounding. Not only that she started out telling her to go, and then she said, oh, hold on, you won't be able to come back. It's almost like she got two messages, one after the other. Right. And like I say, she's 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 quite famous in Russia, as you would expect, because she's got that Eastern European influence. And oftentimes, Russian sites are the ones that will claim she predicted this or she predicted that. But oftentimes, as I say, after people die, some of these predictions are attributed to them and maybe they didn't make them. Right. Now, now the next one is the guy that I was talking about before. And this is, again, I don't know how how possible it is to corroborate this because it was a long time ago. But this man was known as Matthias Stormberger. And very little is known about him. Uh, he was he lived in the 1800s in Bavaria, in Germany. So he was able to visualize with great accuracy the events that would take place in the 20th century. Most of his writings were destroyed by the Nazis in 1934, though, as he had predicted Hitler's defeat. So as you can oh. expect, they didn't want that getting out. And in fact, a little known thing a lot of people don't know about is during World War II, both the Germans and the British used Nostradamus as propaganda against the other to say that they predicted the Germans would take over the world or they predicted that Hitler would would lose. And it was quite interesting that both sides used Nostradamus. Yeah, that one I had heard before, actually, I think. Yeah, they actually had yeah. the old um, uh, newsreels from the war 
talking about this, you know, basically saying he was the greatest year of all time and he saw the mm -hmm. Nazis losing. And I found it quite fascinating how even this guy who was had been dead 400 years was weaponized for, right. for World War II. Right. So uh, on Stormberger, he's very famous for two predictions that if he got these right, it's astounding. So on World War I, apparently he said that he was herding his sheep and he walked into the field where he herded the sheep and he started seeing things almost like he was seeing things overlaid over the current land, like he started seeing things built up, almost like you'll see those movies where they build something from scratch and they show kind of the, the, the grid going over and they show it building up. He said, um, when in the outskirts of the forest, the iron road will be finished and there the iron horse will be seen, a war will begin to last twice two years. It would be fought with iron fortresses. Now, on August the 1st, 1914, a new railroad line between Kaltneck and Doggendorf on the edge of the forest where he lived officially opened the day hostilities of World War I began. Now, World War I also lasted two times two years. It lasted four years. Mm -hmm. Now, his next prediction was that right after this horrible war, there will come a time when money will have no value. For 200 guilders, not even a loaf of bread will be available, and yet there shall be no famine. Money will be made of iron, and gold shall become so valuable that for a few gold coins a small farm can be bought. Now, at the height of the Weimar Republic in Germany, I know you could buy a whole city block in a city like Bremen or Hamburg for an ounce of gold. Literally a whole city block. So he obviously, if that's right, he predicted the inflation. Then about World War II, he said... Two or three decades after the first war, it will come one a second war still larger. Almost all the nations of the world will be involved. Millions of men will die without being soldiers. The fire will fall from the sky, and many great cities will be destroyed. Within the three decades of World War I, World War II did begin, as we all know. Fire from the okay. sky, obviously aerial bombardment. Then on World War III, and this is where I was saying to Dave to pay attention. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. And after the end of the Second Great War, a third universal conflagration will come, so that it will determine everything. There will be weapons totally new, and one day more men will die than in all previous wars. The battles will be accomplished with artificial weapons. Gigantic catastrophes will happen. With the open eyes, the nations of the planet will go through these catastrophes. They won't know what is happening, and those that know and tell will be silenced. Everything will be different from before, and in many places the earth will be a great cemetery. The third war will be the end of many nations. You, my children, won't experience the largest mischief. You, my grandchildren, won't experience it. But the third stock, that will easily experience it. So that's basically, they've worked out that that's kind of the generation that was born between 1990 and 2010. If you go back wow. to when he lived, exactly. So we hope he's wrong. But yeah. even, even with Stormberger, even with Nostradamus, even with all of these people, he basically said that when you get to the other side of this, as terrible as it is, it will basically be a new age and it will be basically a resetting of everything and culture and our systems and everything else will be reset and right. life will become much simpler back, not living in the Stone Age, but, but back to, as Dave was saying and as you were saying, valuing what's actually important in life. Mm-hmm. And then the last wow. one, of course, is, is another one everyone's heard of, which is Edgar Casey. Edgar mm -hmm. Casey was known as the Sleeping Prophet, and he had channeling sessions. So early on, all of his channeling sessions were around medical healing. It was people would write to him with an illness, and he would go into this 
channeling and a disembodied voice that wasn't his. It, it was his voice, but it would speak in a stilted manner. Things like, the issue isn't in the ear, the issue is here, give them this, da-da-da-da-da. And my understanding, again, this is just off the top of my head, but those those recommendations were something around the the, the number of 70 to 80 percent uh, efficient. So when mm-hmm. people would write to him with these issues. And the fascinating thing also to me was that let's say you wrote to him and you said you had an abscess tooth because this is before penicillin and everything else. You write, you, you say that you've got an abscess tooth. Your reading, I could write to him six months later with an abscess tooth. It wasn't the same. He might tell you one course of action and me another course of action. So if it was just a guy making all this stuff up, you would think he would say, ah, oh, abscess tooth. Let's say he had a photographic memory. You would think he would go to that drawer in his mind and go, well, this is what cures an abscess tooth. But he didn't. Right. But yeah. as, as time went on, he, he got much in, much more into talking about his past lives and especially predictions about the future. And his most famous one is he said that in 1968, the ruins of Atlantis would rise. And a lot of people have tied that to the Bimini Road. But the truth is mm-hmm. the Bimini Road's been there for thousands of years. But those are kind of the key ones that most people either know about or in the case of Stormberger, you kind of wish that you didn't know about it, at least if he's right on the last case. But all of them all say the same thing as you've said, Timmy, is that the the future is malleable. It's not set in stone. We do have a chance. Uh, But there are certain things that I would definitely argue that we as as humanity really need to get a move on if we're going to fix things in time. Yeah, I think it's all about just, it's always from acknowledgement, right? And that's yes. what, like, tarot is great for, but also these predictions or astrology. If you isolate and acknowledge that there's a problem, right, then yes. you can actually work on fixing it. But right now, everything's so divided. It feels like the end of the world all the time because everyone's just spouting off what they think, but not acknowledging that there's a real problem and we need to work together to fix it, you know? I I fully agree. That's one of the things that drives me crazy is the amount of people I see on Facebook. Uh, I stay on Facebook because of being able to connect with family. But you'll you'll see these people saying things like one person disagrees with whoever they're voting for, and then it's like, oh well, you know, f you, and then I, I'm I'm unfriending you. And these are family members a lot of times, right? And yeah, to to, to me. I guess I look at things differently, but to me, you you cannot tell me that some person that you've never met, you'll probably never meet, and somebody who's a multimillionaire based in a city that you you probably haven't been to, that that person is more important to you than your family. Yeah, yeah. But people people have to live their lives, and um, I I think that we're we're uh, on the on the same page with that. But one hundred percent. Yeah, and with that, Timmy, look, it's it's been. Awesome having you on the program. It, it, oh yeah, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. No, it's been it's been it's been great. I really do appreciate you taking the time, folks. Uh, also, just so you know, um, so make sure you go over and check out Timmy's special for the year ahead because it's look. I'm going to be booking it for twenty one bucks. You get twelve cards, one for each month, and to me, that's an amazingly good deal. And I have a firm belief that. There are things involved in tarot that I might not be able to explain them all, but it doesn't mean that they don't have an impact. And I firmly believe there's something to it. And the other people that I've introduced to it have said that it's uncanny. So do yourself a favor and get over there and book it. 
uh, I you should you should all know how I am. I will not go and speak for someone unless I've got belief in what they do or I believe in them as a person. I, I try to stay genuine. Timmy has definitely got a gift and a talent, and I think that you would definitely enjoy booking that reading. So get on there and oh, do thank you. up. No, it's truth. Absolute I truth. I appreciate it. Okay, so here we are, folks. What you've all been waiting for. The Paranormal Sun listener predictions for 2021. And I'm sorry I'm only getting around to this when we're actually in 2021. But um, there is one that, as far as I'm concerned, has already come right. So we will cover that at the very end. Also, if you want to check out my predictions for 2021, I did those on the New Year's Eve show. So that is the episode before this, episode 18 of season two. So without further ado, drum roll, please. Wow, I better slow down on the drum rolls or I'm going to blow the entire episode's budget on <laughs> drum roll effects. Here we go. The first set of predictions comes from Jeff in Oregon. So he says the country, the U.S., significantly opens up as the year progresses due to new vaccines, including movie theaters, theme parks, sports and concerts. The Facebook monopoly will be broken up. Working remotely will continue on a large scale. That's one of the things that uh, I had predicted, so I'm on board with that, Jeff, and all of those sound pretty plausible. L in California has written, Companies will start filming more big-budget movies in the U.S. than in the past. That makes sense. There will be a major disruptive volcanic eruption in Asia. Well, let's hope that's wrong. Discount stores will boom as people spend less and on less famous brands. Again, that makes sense to me. A lot of people are struggling, I know, in this household. Money is not exactly flowing out of the faucets. Now, the next one is from Steve in the UK. World to witness record inflation as we move ahead due to currency printing. I've heard that for several years uh, after the QE, the quantitative easing. But uh, again, we'll, we'll just see, won't we? Civil unrest to break in several nations due to repeated lockdowns. We've already seen a bit of an inkling in that. So, again, we'll keep our fingers crossed that it doesn't get any worse. Crude oil prices to tank. Well, if people aren't flying, for one, that's going to affect things definitely. So thanks for that, Steve. Now, Dan in Australia. The world economy will start to recover as lockdowns and cases end. However, European economies and other tourist-dependent economies will take more time to recover. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. The conflicts that we are seeing between countries in 2020 will remain, if not escalate, but a major scale war will not happen. Well, again, touch wood, folks, that that is the case. There will be a huge anti-China sentiment in the democratic world. Again, that's one that I've also predicted for 2021, so I'm on board with that. Now, Amanda in Wisconsin. Mass vaccinations will bring COVID-19 under control by mid-August. Well, they're way behind. They had said that they were going to have 20 million people vaccinated by the end of 2020. And when I saw the last number, it was 4.8 million in the U.S. So they're quite a ways behind that. 20% unemployment in the U.S. <laughs> wow, let's, let's hope that that's not the case. Major jump in developing solar energy power for private homes. So there's some positivity, and I appreciate that, Amanda. To Lupe in Texas is our next one. 
Tesla to correct by 80%. Uh, many people are saying Tesla stocks are a big bubble and getting ready to burst. So that is not very far-fetched. Several banks globally will be pushed to the brink. Well, again, if the economies continue going like they are, I can definitely see that happening. China to enter recession for three years. Now, that would be interesting if that happens. There's recently been news out of China that they've handed some of the power for deciding when and how to prosecute war over to the military and away from the Communist Party. All that means, as far as I'm concerned, is we need to move that doomsday clock that little bit further ahead. Emmett from India? Some kind of a financial reset to take place? Well, again, we'll see how that goes. World to see a K-shaped slow and gradual recovery? Definitely better than some of the other things we're hearing. We will continue to see meteorological records beaten. And again, that's one that I had predicted, so I'm on board with all of those, and thank you, Emmett. Linda from the UK. There will be drought on at least one continent. Yeah, on board with that. World shipping will have a financial crisis. Well, again, if people aren't buying things, and like here in New Zealand, for example, in December, we were a month behind on our imports, so there were ships sailing off the coast that couldn't get in to be unloaded, to be divanned, uh, take the containers off the ships. So, yeah, I would not be shocked by that. Calls for Basque separatism will reemerge, this time in France as well. That's pretty specific, so appreciate that, Linda. To Jim in Ohio, barter systems will start developing in some areas. Well, yeah, again, if money dries up or if people feel there's no value in money, I can see that happening. Huge solar flares capable of shutting down power grids and breaking down communication satellites. Well, again, let's hope that that is not correct. And a major U.S. political figure dies suddenly. Again, folks, these aren't looking very sunshine and, uh, and roses right now. Abigail in Kansas. Continued ammo shortage to the point of non-availability. Well, folks, uh, for those of you in the know, it has been very difficult to get your hands on ammunition in the U.S. for a while, and the cost keeps skyrocketing. I knew people eight, ten years ago that were buying pallet loads of ammunition, not so much for the ammo, but more speculating that the cost was going to go up and then they could sell it and make profit. And I would say they've done very well out of that. People become scared, angry, and desperate. Well, um, yeah, that's true. Uh, and it's not going to be a good thing if we keep going on the path we're headed on. Riots will come that make the L.A. and Black Lives Matter riots look like nothing. We've had a little taste of that um, with the recent events in Washington. Let's hope that's the end of it. And the last one here is from Thomas in Australia. And unfortunately, folks, Thomas is not seeing things any more positive than most of these predictions. China will seize Taiwan. The rest of the world will be in too bad of a shape to do anything about it. Well, um, if you continue to have some of these things going on, like the massive internal divide in the U.S., that might not be too far from the truth. More record storms. Yeah, again, um, I definitely see that trend continuing, unfortunately. Concerts, stadium sports, amusement parks, and other forms of large-scale diversions never really return. Well, folks, we will see. And as you know, uh, I told you what we're going to do is we're going to lock these in the vault. 
here at Tower Studios for the rest of 2021. And then in and around New Year's, I'll pull them out and we will start seeing who's had hits and who's had misses. Now, here we go, folks. Um, and this one has already occurred, in my humble opinion. It's the first hit of the year. Now, unfortunately, it's not a very positive thing. But as far as I'm concerned, it's been predicted correctly. Now, this came from a close friend of the program in Wisconsin, my friend Jeff. And I'm just going to read it here for you verbatim. Just a quick one from me, since I didn't have a chance to send you anything formal. There has been a lot of smoke about 1621. I feel like there will likely be a false flag or agent provocateur event around the rally or leading up to the inauguration. I hope the peace, I hope for peace, but the leadership of both sides, two wings of the same crooked bird, have really created a tinderbox. 1000% agree, Jeff. I'm also not surprised by how quickly the Nashville bombing was swept under the rug and out of the news cycle. And again, spot on. And as far as I'm concerned, the last thing we really need to happen in the U.S. right now is for something like this to be proven to have been instigated by intelligence agencies or a foreign power. Let's hope to God that's not the case, because it's just going to open the thing wide up. And I've been worried about it for a while myself, and I'm sure plenty of you are worried about a civil war basically breaking out. Now, I hope that cooler heads prevail, and I want to stay positive. And let's hope that people start choosing other ways to vent their anger. I don't want to go down the political rabbit hole too far. I've told you time and time again, that's not what this program is about. However, there are definitely powers at work that work very hard to agitate both ends of the political spectrum and especially the people that are on the fringe. So people who are disenfranchised, people who feel they have nothing to lose, etc., etc., etc. And this is as old as politics, okay? We know for a fact this has gone on since the Roman times because the Romans kept documentation on it, and it's history, okay? Let's just do our absolute best to try and stay positive about 2021. I really do hope that all of this blows over and we get back to a semblance of normality in the world. Now, with all of that having been said, folks, I hope that you have a splendid week. I will have the last episode of the season out for you next week. I'm not going to make any promises about it being on the standard day. This one, unfortunately, got delayed a couple days. I had some things going on and then obviously the stuff happening in Washington, D.C., but I'm going to do my best, and then after that, folks, I would say it's going to be a three-week hiatus. I need at least a week for myself, and then I've got some stuff I really need to get done for the show. Editing episodes that are in the can, etc. So we'll see, uh, but I'll announce during the next episode, I'll announce the date you can expect a new episode for. But I would say three weeks from the next episode. And who knows, maybe in between there I'll drop you in some News of the Damned or maybe another Monolith Roundup. We shall see. With that said, folks, take care, stay safe, and as always, I'll leave you with the quote from Art Bell, which is, A mind should not be so open that the brain falls out 
However, it should not be so closed that whatever gray matter does reside within may not be reached.